We'll get started here. All right. Good morning, Gateway. Great to see everybody this morning, this beautiful day. First, I just want to say thank you to all of those who came out Friday night for our fall fun night. How many, how many came? Y'all have a good time? That was a wonderful time. Woo! It was a blast. We just had a great time of fellowship and community. I do want to acknowledge it for us to give a little cheer to a few people. I just want they worked so hard. Uh, Mike Presley, Scott Corey, our pastor Grady, and his wife Julia. Set everything up, got the food, got the blow up set. So let's just give them a round of applause. Thank you guys for your faithfulness and serving us. There was a lot of work involved in preparing all of that. So we are just so, so grateful for that time of fellowship. Before we get started this morning and worshiping the Lord through song, we're going to have a, a buddy of mine that's a member here of our church for many years, Ty Carmichael, to come up. He's going to give us an update. Um, back in June, he, we prayed over him and um, laid hands on him. The Lord was launching him out and doing some ministry and missions. And this came on the coattails of this past year in January. Ty went to Youth with the Mission out in Tyler, Texas. It's an international missions organization. That's where I met my beautiful bride, Nikki. We spent five years with that organization. And so uh, Ty went out to do a discipleship training school. And the Lord led him to Indonesia for uh, almost two months. And uh, so we did a little update, but he's back. Uh, this summer from somewhere, I wanted to give a brief update. We're going to pray for him, lay hands on him, and uh, just really excited about what God's doing in his life. Wonderful glory to God. So, update. Yes. Um, just want to give you a quick update of what's going up next. Um, yeah, like CD just gave everybody what's going on in the past, and we're going to go forward. Um, we do have our golf tournament coming up in uh, tomorrow. Um, I know a couple of the guys here are going to be playing in it, so thank you guys for being a part of that every year. Um, and then for me, uh, we'll fly. I will fly to Phoenix on Wednesday, um, be with my parents. Um, and then after that, um, Elsa, which is my new girlfriend from this year, um, we will go back to the Faroe Islands. Um, I don't know how many of y'all have looked on the map since CJ has brought that up. But we will go back to the Faroe Islands on the 26th of October. We have a lot of opportunities coming up uh, when it comes to ministry or with the church or anything like that. Um, and even in the next couple of months, we have a lot of things. Um, I do have a prayer request, and CJ can throw that in there for me, please. But on Tuesday of this week, so we got the golf tournament on Monday, but Tuesday, we have a phone call that we have to be a part of, me and her, um, with OM, Operation Mobilization, um, reached out to her and asked if we could uh, maybe partner with them or just work with them with their youth side of things, which is their teen street. Um, it's a huge or youth organization that they, they, they do. They'll do it sometimes in Barcelona, Spain, or they'll do it in some other places. Um, she said that they do it a lot in Germany. Um, now, we would be in the Faroe Islands, but we will. they need like a marketing slash like just really, I think, helping to get the word out throughout the European countries because it's the European side of things. And so we would be the people that could use social media and stuff like that. And we would love to be a part of that. And we would also be able to travel and go there as well. Um, and then the last thing is um, her parents are in Kenya. They're with the orphanages that they work with. Um, we're hoping that we will soon be able to travel there pretty soon to go back and be a part of that. So... Guys, this is just, I've known it for years. We meet all the time. And Elsa's an answer to prayer. I'm going to get excited because they met at YWAM like Nikki and I did. God brought them together. It's a divinely appointed, 
beautiful relationship we've got to know over the past week or so. She's precious, and God has called him first to her. Amen? That's her, their first mission field is to each other, and God's going to use them now to reach the nations. And just so excited how God has orchestrated this. So, so let's pray for our brother and our sister and for God's will to be done. Lord, we thank you. God, I'm so overjoyed for what you have done in Ty and Elsa's life, how you have brought them together divinely, how you have brought these two together, God, to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity with uh, Operation Mobilization, this wonderful global ministry. We pray, God, that your kingdom come and your will be done. You will make it very clear. If they were to partner and represent this ministry all over Europe and the gospel, and so we pray that this phone call Tuesday would go well and just according to your will. Um, as I mentioned last week, God, uh, your word says in Proverbs 16:9 that man orders his way, um, plans his ways, God, but you order their steps. And you've ordered their steps up to this point and will continue to do so. So we thank you for their lives. We ask you to continue to open doors of ministry at the, um, in the Faroe Islands through their church, through the school that uh, she works at, through other opportunities to disciple and reach young people that their hearts desire to do. And we pray for protection. And Lord, lastly, we just pray that you would bless this relationship as they continue to cultivate it and, and submit it to you, God, uh, for their future and what you desire to do in and through their lives. They're just a beautiful testimony of the gospel and what you desire to do in the world. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless you, brother. All right, let's stand. And just hearing stuff like that, that prompts us to worship our God. Amen. He's good. He's faithful. He's just and trustworthy. So let me read the scripture over us before we worship the Lord through song and enjoy our time together. This is Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the, and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's worship our King today. Yeah. Hey. 
Yeah. 
Bye.
my wisdom.
Let's pray together. From Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, we th- all, all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And God, uh, we do need your vision. We need your strength to be able to grasp just how broad and how long and how high and how deep your love is and to know that your love surpasses knowledge and that we may be filled with the fullness of you. And Lord, we want to bring you glory today. That's why we sing these songs. We want you to receive the glory. We know that when you are glorified is when all will be right within our hearts as well. So Lord, we just ask for the strength to be able to do that. We understand and we know that that cannot come from within us. It has to come through your work in us. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you and surrender to you and ask for your grace, God, that you would be our vision. And we bring these requests before you today, God, asking that you would work in our lives and in our hearts and in our community and those that we know and that those that we don't know so that we would see more of your glory as your gospel goes forth across the world. So we pray for our young adult ministry here and we're thankful, God, for this group of people that wants to dig into your word together. They want to bless one another with the truth of Christ and to carry one another's burdens. We just pray for your blessing among them that you would continue to give them a hunger for you and for your glory and to help them love one another well. We pray for Lenny and Debbie Dixon and their ministry through Shepherd Staff and the way that they continue to reach out and help those in our area. God, give them your grace, provide what they need to continue to be your hands and feet in this community. And Lord, we lift up the Kurdsmani Kurds in Cernak, Turkey. And Lord, we pray for the group of Muslim background folks that professed faith in Christ earlier this year and the group of Syriac Orthodox believers that have opened their home to begin a church. Lord, your gospel continues to move through your church and through the proclamation of your words. And we pray for open doors there in those places where Christianity is not well received. God, where there are threats. God, we pray for your grace and for your blessing and that you would be everything to these people as they face these trials. And God, as we continue to see your gospel go forth in your kingdom in the world, we pray uh, for the offerings that we give to you today, Lord, as we submit our finances and our lives to you and you've called to give us back to you in faith, we pray that you would help us to be cheerful givers. And finally, for Grady, as he shares this morning, Lord, we know that uh, how we, have, we know with your scripture how, feed, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And Lord, we know that the good news will come forth today and we pray that you would speak through Grady and that you would give us attentive hearts and attentive minds. We ask all of this by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Fourth grade? You're Mr. CJ today. Y'all get a little bit more elbow room now with all them exiting. You... Well, if you'll find 1 Peter chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word as the kids are headed to kids' worship, 1 Peter chapter 2, as we continue our year-long journey through this amazing letter, we come to an important transition in the letter today. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12 today. This introduces a new section of the letter. This is a big transition point in Peter's thought. Up until this point, Peter's been focused on the big picture of who we are in Christ, what God's grace has done for us, not just individually, but together collectively as the church. He's also given us the big picture so far of what God is calling us to do. Without a lot of specifics, he's called us to holiness in our life. He's called us to trusting God. He's called us to loving one another. But starting today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and then going through the middle of chapter 4, he turns to practical application. And over the much of the next eight months of our study, we're going to be looking at this practical application. What does it practically look like to pursue holiness in all different relationships? What does it practically look like to trust God in a variety of different circumstances? But before Peter gets into those specifics, which we'll start on next week, he gives us an introduction to this new section of the letter. Now, I know if you're looking in your copy of the Bible, you're going, it looks like the same paragraph. I don't see a section heading here. And let me just remind us, the section headings, even the chapters and verses were added later to help us. They were not part of Peter's original letter. But when you look at the Greek structure of this book, almost all the scholars say chapter 2, verse 11 begins a whole new flow of thought. But for some reason, that doesn't make it into most of our subheadings at this point in the book. But we're going to look today at his introduction to this main part of his letter here. As we look at these two verses today, I want you to look for what are our lives supposed to be like? And he's going to give us one more big picture overview of what our lives are to be like. And so what is that to be like? But then second of all, why? Why is it so important for us to live this way? Because before he gets into all the nitty-gritty, if you will, in the months to come that we're going to see of how we live out holiness and trusting God in all these circumstances, he gives us a big why of why this is so important in our lives. And it's not what most of us would expect it to be. So we come today to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, that you've given it to us, that you've revealed yourself to us, that you're showing us who you are, and you're clearly showing us your plan for our lives. So Lord, today as your people, we just humbly submit to you saying, Lord, would you use your word to conform us more and more to the image of Christ, to be shaping our lives to reflect what you want them to be, to be ordering our priorities, to be focused on the things that you desire for us to focus on. So Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit to fill us, to open our eyes to the truth of your word, to apply it to each of our situations as only you can do. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as we've seen in a lot of our recent texts, this is rich. There's so much in this. We could probably spend several weeks, we could spend several weeks, just on these verses. So to guide us through studying this, I want us to ask five questions of the text this morning. And one reason I want us to approach it this way is these are the type of things you can do at home as you read the Scripture yourself. You can look at texts and ask these same type questions as you study the Bible yourself to understand this. So let's look at five questions of this text this morning, and then we'll bring it together with a challenge for us. Front. First question, what are we called to do here? What are we being called to do here? As we begin this very practical section of the letter, God gives us through Peter a clear vision of what our lives are to be like. And so as we talk about this, I want you to be asking yourself, is this my life? And we often ask, what is God's will for me? Well, friends, this is God's will for me and God's will for you. So what is God's will for us? Let's look at this together. Start verse 11. Beloved, I urge you. Now let's just stop right there. This word urge is much stronger than most of our English translations communicate. The closest English word for this is a word we don't use anymore, and that's the word from the King James, the word beseech. I beseech you. Now, we're not going to use that one because who speaks that way, right? Have you told anyone in the last year, I beseech you to do something? We don't speak that way anymore, but perhaps that captures more of the force here. This word means to strongly urge. Urge is not enough. This is I strongly urge. I strongly appeal to you. This is not a mere suggestion. This is as strong as exhortation as can possibly be made by Peter to God's people. And what is it that he's strongly pleading with us to do? What's he beseeching us to do here? Well, it's one thing, but he expresses it as two sides of one coin. He expresses two different ideas, but they go together. The first side of the coin is we're to put off something. We're to get rid of something from our lives. And you see this in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain. I'll just stop right there. He says we are to put off, we're to abstain from something. Now, to abstain means to avoid something. It means to keep away from something, to distance yourself from something. So if you're abstaining from something, you're not trying to see how close you can get to it. You're trying to see how far away you can stay from it. And in the Greek, this is present tense. He's saying, I urge you to avoid and to keep on avoiding. I am pleading with you to keep away and to keep as far away as you can day by day. This is something that takes intentionality. You don't abstain from something. You don't keep away from something by accident. This is a call, a plea to intentionally distance ourselves from something, to be putting off something from our life day after day after day. And what is it? Verse 11, I, he's urging us to abstain from, notice the passions of the flesh. The passions of flesh is just a synonym for our sinful desires. The sinful desires that are present in every single one of us. The strong desires that come from birth that we are born with. One of the authors I was reading this week described the passions of the flesh as the things that are unsanctified mind and body won't. I was like, that's a good way to describe that. Whatever is not sanctified by God, as the Holy Spirit says, those desires of our mind and our body is what is in view here in the passions of the flesh. Now, what specifically would that include? Well, Peter mentions several later in his letter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is an example list for us. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles, Gentiles here means non-believers, what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, lest you look at that and go, Phew, I'm okay here, I'm fine on this, we, Paul gives us even more of what's in view by the passions of the flesh. It's a familiar text we look at often, but Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Now, the works of the flesh, the same idea as the passions of the flesh, they're evident. 
Some of the same type things here. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Verse 20, he carries on. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Now, unless we think we're okay, look at where he goes next. Strife, jealousy. Okay, we're getting into our heart motivations here. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions. Verse 21, envy. Talk about heart issues again here. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are far from exhaustive lists. The passions of the flesh are anything that is unsanctified in our mind and in our body. Yes, that can be our actions, but that can be our speech. It can even be our thoughts that no one else but God sees. It can be our motivations in our heart as well. All that can be the passions of the flesh. And in 1 Peter, we're told to day by day intentionally abstain from them, put them off, separate ourselves from those things. But then Peter flips the coin to show us the other side of what he's urging us to do and pleading us to do, and that is to put on something, to pursue something. We put off things, we read things from our life, and we put on things, we pursue things in our life. Go to verse 12 and look at the other side of the coin here. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He's saying keep honorable conduct. Now what does he mean by that? Conduct is one of Peter's favorite words to express our new life in Christ. This is a day-by-day pattern of life. Conduct is not something you do one time. Conduct is what you're known for. It's how you live day after day after day. Your conduct is what you do when people watch and when people are not watching. It is who you are, and it includes all parts of your life. So Peter is saying intentionally, day-by-day, whether people are watching or not, do what is consistent with knowing Christ. Do what Christ would do. Now again, what would that include? Well, that's the rest of 1 Peter here. The rest of 1 Peter is what are these things we put on? What does it look like as we relate to the governments, we relate in families, we relate in the churches, we relate to non-believers? He shows us what we're to be putting on. But if we go back for a summary, Paul's writing to the people at Galatia, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. I think we have that on the screen for you. Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit. This is what the sanctification of the Spirit creates in us. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, verse 23, gentleness, self-control. This is what it looks like to put on these virtues by God's grace. So the two sides of the coin here, Peter is saying, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you with the strongest way I know how to do. Put off the desires of your flesh. Put on good conduct. In other words, he's saying pursue holiness. Two sides of the same coin. Holiness is putting off sin, putting on Christ's likeness, abstaining from the things that are contrary to God's nature and pursuing the things consistent with God's nature. He's saying pursue holiness. He's saying more than anything else, he's going to begin this whole rest of his letter with this urge, this plead with us, his beseeching us to pursue holiness. Now, we shouldn't be surprised because he already told us this. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He already told us at the beginning of the letter here the same thing. But as he, God who called you, is holy... You also be holy, in here it is, in all your conduct, in all your manner of life, in your thoughts, and your words, and your heart motivations, and your actions, in all that you do, pursue the holiness that reflects the holiness of God. So first question, what are we called to do? We're called to day by day intentionally pursue holiness. To day after day after day intentionally pursue holiness, putting off the sinful patterns and putting on Christ's likeness. That was the first question. Second question, why? Why is God calling us to do this? Now, friends, this is an important question because when we think of pursuing holiness, lots of ideas go through our mind. Sometimes it sounds old-fashioned. 
Sometimes it sounds archaic, sometimes it sounds legalistic to us, but I want you to see this incredible vision that Peter gives us of why we're to pursue holiness. Because Peter's going to take a concept that we kind of shrug our shoulders at or treat as legalism and turn it into a glorious mission for you and I. This is not some call to do things to be prudish or just to do them for the reason of whatever you should do. He's doing this because there's a mission tied to the pursuit of holiness. So why does God call us to pursue holiness? There's many reasons in Scripture, but Peter hones in on the fact he's calling us to do this because this is part of his plan for how the lost are reached. How you and I put off passions of the flesh and put on Christ's likeness is part of God's plan for how the gospel goes to our community and goes to the world. It's the plan for how the lost are reached. So as we dig into this one, don't miss this. The call to holiness is a call to mission. The call to holiness is a call for you to be doing God's will that will impact the world here. Look at verses 11 and 12. Notice how these flow together. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now notice this, so that. Here is the reason why we're to put off the passions of the flesh, the reason why we are to put on Christ's likeness. We're to do it so that the Gentiles, now quick word here, he means non-Christians in general. Now, why does he use that instead of saying non-Christians? Think about the images he's used for us as the church before this. These are all images for Israel that he's now applying to the church. And so now he's taking that same idea and now describing all those outside of the church as the Gentiles. So we might read it more in our modern English today. Keep your conduct among the non-believers honorable. Keep your conduct among the lost you know honorable. Now, what is the goal of us putting off sin and putting on Christ's likeness in front of non-believers. What is the goal of this? Verse 12, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they, the Gentiles, the non-believers, may see your good deeds. He's saying you need to pursue holiness so that the lost around you see your good deeds, see your honorable conduct, see you not following the passions of the flesh. He's saying that the lost around you need to be able to see a life transformed by grace. God's will is for the lost around you and ultimately for the nations to see believers whose lives are transformed by grace. Now, quick clarification here. They're not to see this so that it makes much of us. We're not to be doing holiness in our lives and pursuing that so the lawful, uh, the lost will pass on the shore and be like, man, you're such a good person. I wish I could be like that. Or people think, man, they're such nice people. I want to hang out with them all the time. Or for this has nothing to do with building us up. The reason why we are to be holy and it's to be on display for non-believers is so that they too will be brought to belief in Christ. There's a mission tied to this. Look at the end of verse 12. So that when they, the non-believers, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, same thing as conduct, and notice this, and glorify God. That the goal of our holiness is for the non-believers to glorify God. Now, when you look at Scripture, glorifying God, when it's used with non-believers, is always used in the sense of them believing, them trusting Christ. So, for example, Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, and it says, and glorifying the word of the Lord. What does that mean? They're glorifying. You see this in the next phrase. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Belief, glorifying the Lord. When non-believers believe that is them glorifying the Lord. You see this in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. It's describing Abraham and his faith. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Belief tied to glorifying God. 
So go back to verse 12. The goal in our holiness in our life, our putting off passions of the flesh, us putting on Christ's likeness, is so that the lost may see our good deeds and begin to follow Christ themselves to glorify God. Now this very last phrase on the day of visitation, this is a pretty debated phrase. Some people say when you look at this, this is meaning the final judgment. This is saying that non-believers will hear the gospel from you. They'll see the gospel lived out before you. And when they stand before the Lord one day, they will receive honor instead of judgment because they have believed, much like we will receive honor instead of judgment. Other people say, no, no, no. This phrase of the day of visitation means when God visits them and brings them salvation in this life. This is not future. This is present. This is the joy they find when they first trust Christ. Friends, I'm not sure. It can be either one because it doesn't change the, the outcome, it doesn't change the command for us. Whether it's, God, whether it's the time when God brings them salvation in this life or whether it's when they stand before God and God sees them as forgiven because of their faith in Christ and what he's done to draw them to himself, it's the exact same outcome, whatever view you hold on that phrase, the day of visitation. The point here is that we are to pursue holiness in our lives so that the lost around us see a life transformed by grace and are by God drawn to himself to believe as well. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew, the very similar words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that, what's the reason why there's to be an obvious difference in our life before non-believers? So that they, the non-believers, may see your good works, that good conduct again, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That the non-believers should be drawn to faith in Christ because of the way we live. Friends, this is incredible. When we pursue holiness in our life, when we put off the sinful passion of the flesh, when we put on Christ's likeness, it is an act of worship. It's an act of our own worship of following God, but it's also an act of worship because we're pointing the lost to worship God as well. And so don't miss this. Peter takes this idea of holiness that we kind of are like, eh, and keep a distance from, that we treat as legalistic, and he turns it into a glorious mission for the gospel going forth. So what are we called to do? We're called to day-by-day pursue holiness. Why? It's part of God's plan for how the lost and the nations are reached. That leads to a third question. How does our holiness lead to non-believers believing? How does our practical pursuit of holiness lead to non-believers believing? Well, there's a famous quote. You've probably heard it, and it's very, very wrong. And that's the quote, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That is not biblical in any stretch of the imagination. So if you have that one in your house, please take it down, okay? That is not a quote you want to be endorsing or applying to your life, friends. There's no gospel going forth without words with that. And that's exactly what Peter has just said. That's why it's important when we look at Scripture, not look at one verse by itself, but see it in context. Yes, here he's calling us to a holy conduct that God will use to draw the lost himself. But that comes on the heels of verse 9, just two verses before this. Go back, 1 Peter 2, 9. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We looked at this last week. To proclaim means to shout out, to herald, to advertise, to clearly make something known to others. And so these have to go hand in hand. God's plan for the lost and the nations to come to faith in Christ is us proclaiming and us demonstrating a life transformed by the grace that we proclaim. And so as we pursue a holy life by the grace of God, as we verbally share what the gospel is, God uses that. Now how? What does that look like? There's two scenarios here. It's sometimes, the first one is, non-believers will ask us questions. 
Why are you different? Why are you not doing that? And Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which we'll get to in the weeks to come. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Notice it's always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what Peter's saying is you pursue putting off the passions of your flesh as you pursue in your life Christ-likeness. Non-believers around you will notice the difference. And some, not all, because we're going to see in a minute, some of them are going to try to kill you for that. But some will start to ask questions of you're different, why? And he says, be ready for that answer. But when you give that answer, this is not the chance to beat them over the head with the Bible. It's a chance to do it with gentleness and respect. So as we pursue Practical holiness in our lives by the grace of God. Non-believers will notice, and he says, be ready if they ask. That's only one of the two scenarios. The other scenario is we go ahead and proclaim it to them before they ask. We are not to wait on them asking. We are to be intentional in what we saw in verse 9 in proclaiming Christ's excellencies. Whether or not they believe is not up to us. Our job is to still proclaim. I love it in Acts chapter 5, verse 28. Here's a picture of the early church. You have the, the, the early church before the religious leaders at the time, and the religious leaders say, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. So this is not a group that's going to the early church being like, we see that you're different. How can we be like you? These were the religious leaders who were like, we hate you and ready for you to die because we don't want you to infiltrate our city again. But the early church didn't be like, oh, well, they didn't ask any questions. I'm not going to share the gospel here. They pushed forward anyway. Notice this, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. I'm like, what a great indictment for any church. You have filled this city with the name of Christ, and we don't like it. So as we pursue holy living in our lives, on one scenario, it causes non-believers to ask questions. But in the other scenario, even if they don't, it verifies that our lives are in fact changed by grace, and it gives a practical picture of what God's grace can do for anyone. So this is a both and. We respond with the gospel when asked, and we respond with the gospel even when not asked. We share the gospel in words, and we back it up with our lives that show how the gospel has changed us. So what are we called to do? To day by day pursue holiness. Why? It's part of God's plan for how the gospel goes forth in the world. And how do the lost go from seeing our good conduct to believing? When we verbally share the gospel with them in our lives, back it up. Now, friends, the reality check here is that we struggle to do this, or at least most of us struggle to do this. Friends, it is a lot easier to get angry at lost people acting like lost people than it is to pursue holiness and doing good for them. It is a lot easier to ignore those around us who bother us or we don't like their lifestyle than it is for us to pursue humility and Christ-likeness before them. It is a lot easier to speak negatively about those we disagree with than it is to proclaim the gospel to them. And so as such, many believers struggle to fulfill God's mission for us, both in sharing the gospel verbally and actually having practical holiness in our lives that shows the gospel has, in fact, changed us. So that leads to our fourth question. Why is obedience so difficult? Why is obedience to God's plan here so difficult? Now, the obedience piece of verbally sharing the gospel, that's for another day. The focus of our verses this morning, verses 10 and 11, is on the obedience and pursuing holiness and abstaining from the passions of the flesh and putting on Christ's likeness, the put off, put on. Why is that so difficult for us? Peter gives us two reasons in today's text of why this is so challenging. Number one, it's challenging because we face pressure from the world. We face pressure from the world around us. Go back to verse 12. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, notice this, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. And this is a promise. This is not one of those if they speak, it's when they speak against you as evildoers. Christ has said if they hated the master, they're going to hate his people as well. Friends, we will be opposed by non-believers at times throughout our lives. And we see this all over the world on the mission field as well, that the Christians are spoken against as evildoers. Why is that the case? Peter explains, if you look ahead to chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. At the core of this, the reason why Christians get opposed is non-believers want us to be like them. They feel threatened by our difference. And so temptations are constantly put before us to be like the world. And at times in our lives, as we stand for Christ, we may face ridicule for not following what the world says to do. Sometimes that ridicule is being directly spoken against, like we see in the text today, that they call you an evildoer. Sometimes it's more subtle. It's just found in the messages bombarded to us, the mockery that is thrown at us in entertainment and advertisement and the culture at large. We face pressure from the world. Another part of this pressure in the world we don't want to neglect here is the pressure we feel inside ourselves to want to conform to the world. Some of you guys struggle like me with people pleasing and wanting people to like us. We want to be accepted. We want to not be spoken ill of. We do not want to be seen as odd or different or some holy roller over there. And so there's this internal pressure when we feel the pressure from the world that makes us want to conform on that. And that is so dangerous. So friends, in your own life, where do you feel the most pressure from the world to conform? What is it that the world is pushing on you that you're weak on and you kind of waver on? Who is it? Is it just entertainment at large? Is there a friend? Is there a group that you're part of that is pressuring you to conform and you struggle in that? But the other question for us is if none of us are feeling pressure from the world, do we know lost people? And are we living among lost people like we're called to live? So that's the first reason why this is so hard is we feel pressure from the world. But Peter gives us a second reason why this is so hard, and this one's even more dangerous. Yes, there's pressure from the world, but that's not the greatest enemy. The greatest enemy, number two, is our own sinful desires. What's happening inside of us? This is the greater danger. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh. Notice this, which wage war against your soul. Notice the contrast here. The pressure from the outside world of people speaking negatively about you. The pressure from inside is there's something warring against you. The world is not described as warring against us here. Our own desires are what is warring against us here. The most dangerous enemy is the one we don't think about, and that's ourself. Our own sinful desires, our own sinful tendencies, and they fight against us. War imagery here. They battle against us, and this is present tense. Day after day after day, there is a battle going on inside you, waged by your passions of your flesh, your sinful nature that is fighting against you. If you were with us several years ago when we studied James, we saw this. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 tell us each person is tempted. It doesn't say when the world has enticed you, but when he is lured and enticed by, notice this, his own desire. Verse 15 continues and explains that desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. The greatest danger for me and for you is not out there, it's right inside here. And parents in the room, when you're shepherding your children, the great, yes, you want to protect your kids from what's out there, but the greatest danger is not what's out there, it's what's in 
their own hearts. The greatest danger in my own life is not what's out there, it's what's in my heart. And when my heart wants what's out there, that is where the danger is. Friends, one of the authors I read this week said it so well, which made me stop when I read it. He said, your desires want to kill you. Your desires want to kill you. Yes, there may be some non-believers who want to kill you, but in the context we're in right now, they probably won't. But your desires are actively trying to kill you. One of the reformers in the early church said this so well. He said, it shows our carelessness that we shun enemies who can endanger our body, but we willingly allow enemies hurtful to our soul to destroy it. Hear that again. It shows our carelessness that we shun enemies who endanger our body. And friends, we go to great lengths to protect ourselves, don't we? To not do things that might get us in physical harm. He says, we're careless if we shun enemies who endanger our body, but we willingly allow enemies hurtful to our soul to destroy it. And when we do not, by God's grace, seek to abstain from the passions of the flesh, we have a wide open door letting things into our life that want to kill us. So again, the question for us is this, of which desires in you are trying to kill you right now? Which desires are fighting against you? Are you aware of the enemy's schemes? What is he stirring up in your own heart, in your own life, to use to try to destroy you? And friends, have you been so captured by any desire that it just seems normal to you, or you shrug your shoulders at it, when in reality it's something that is trying to destroy you? So why is it so hard to live holy lives before the lost? Well, there's a world that's pressuring us to conform, but even greater, there's our own heart desires that want what is out there that are fighting against us. So is it any wonder so many believers struggle to make Christ known because our own lives are not showing a life transformed by grace because we're struggling to walk in holiness ourselves? So last question, how is this possible? If it's so hard, if there's an enemy within and an enemy without, how is it even possible for us to resist the passions of the flesh? How is it possible for us to put on Christ likeness? And to answer the question, I want to take you back to the end of the book, to the main purpose for the book. This is the purpose statement for 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring, here it is, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. The hope for us living like this is simply the grace of God. It's not us coming up with a new battle plan for the year. It's not us having that white-knuckle determination where I'm just going to grit my teeth and hang on hard and try harder to do better. That's not what this is calling us to. There's nothing in this that can call us to self-effort because our self-effort will fall flat on our face every time. This is a call to rely on God's grace. As we've seen all throughout this letter, we talk about God's grace. There's his saving grace, remembering what he has done for us. There's this transforming grace as he fills us with his Holy Spirit and gives us strength to resist the passions of us, where he gives us strength to want to do what he has called us to do. Now, back to our verses today, you may be thinking, I didn't see the word grace in today's text. And you didn't, but it's there just in different terms. And it's in the terms used to describe you. Go back to the beginning of verse 11. Beloved. Now, we're just going to stop right there because here's one of this, the pictures of God's grace here. Beloved. This is not just a formal greeting here. This is not just a mere transition point for him. This is not Peter catching his breath going, uh, before he starts talking again. This word is so packed full of meaning. Now, if you think back to the Greek language this was written in, you've heard me say before, it's much more specific than English. English, we have the word love, and we talk about this often. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love chocolate. I love dogs. You know, we use it, and it's just so similar. But in Greek, there's different types of love. And the highest form of love, the purest form of love, is the word agape. 
That's God's pure, perfect, covenantal love for his people. This word beloved right here is a title given to us. It's the word agapakos. It is saying this is God's agape love has been put on you. You are recipients. If you are in Christ, you are recipients of God's agape love. His pure, his perfect, his covenantal love has been placed on you. It's a beautiful word for God's saving grace. You are beloved by God with the purest form of love ever possible. He starts this section on practical holiness and all the ways we work it out. He starts with, if you are in Christ, you are beloved, you are agape by God. Remember God's saving grace in your life to motivate you and to strengthen you to do this. But what about transforming grace? Where is that here? It's the next two descriptions. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles here. Now, we could do a whole sermon just on those those two phrases there, those two words there, and we'll talk about this a lot more in the weeks and months to come. But a sojourner and exile are people who are residing in a place that is not their homeland. These are people who are passing through, who are not in their permanent place. And when you visit another country, when you travel the world, if you're a sojourner or exile, you find the customs strange, don't you? For those who've traveled the world globally, you get in different countries. And it's strange to you when our international friends come here, they think we do really, really weird things here in our customs and our traditions. The ways seem different to us. And friends, that is the picture that Peter is painting. Our home is not here. Our home is with God for eternity in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. We are sojourners. We are exiles. We are different than the world we live in. Our customs, our norms should be different than the world around us because God's transforming grace has changed us. As we journey to heaven, we're not just beloved, and then there's a pause until we get to heaven. As we're on our way to heaven and through a land that is not our home, God keeps changing us and growing us so that we more and more as we walk with Christ become sojourners and exiles in the world that we ourselves. And so he's saying, remember, you're beloved by God, but remember, God is changing you so you are different than the world around you, and you are different from how you used to be. So let's bring all of that together for this morning. Here's the big picture I want you to see from today's text. It's this. God's grace motivates and empowers us to pursue holiness for the sake of making Christ known to non-believers. I'm not sure why there's a question mark there. It's a statement, not a question. But God's grace... It's what motivates us. It is what empowers us to pursue holiness, friends. This is not a call to just go try harder this week. Whatever that sin struggle is from the passion of your flesh, whatever you're not looking like Christ proactively, is not go, go try harder this week and maybe you'll get it by next Sunday. That's not what this text is calling you. This text is saying, remember, remember this week, friend, you are beloved. You're agape by God. He saved you to be different. He has now made you a sojourner in exile. You are on your path to heaven. He's growing you. And the more you walk with him, the more you run to his word, the more you pray, the more you live in Christian community, the more you will be like an exile in a faraway land. The more you know Christ, the more you will be different from the surrounding custom. He's saying, remember God's grace. Remember his saving grace. Remember his transforming grace. And let that be what motivates you. Let that be what empowers you to this week put off sin. This week seek God's grace to stop those patterns in your life that come from your flesh. To this week by God's grace seek to do those things that perhaps you haven't wanted to do but you know Christ is calling you to do. Why? Not because it's about you but because it's God's plan for the non-believers around you to find Christ. God's grace motivates and empowers us to pursue holiness for the sake of making Christ known to non-believers. Now, from that, I want to give us a practical challenge. First of all, friends, you are living in the time and place you are because of the sovereign plan of God. 
I love Acts 17, 26, because it tells us why the peoples, the nations live where they do, and this applies to us individually as well. And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, and this is having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. What this paints for us is a God who is not up in heaven just watching where the nations go and where the people groups go and where people live. He is sovereignly ordaining it. That means, friends, you are alive in 2022 in Montgomery, Alabama, and God's not in heaven going, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. wonder what I'll do with this person. This was his ordained plan from before time began. He knew you'd be here for such a time as it was his purpose in putting you here in this time period in redemptive history in this particular location. But there's a second part of this in the next verse in Acts 17, 27. As God ordains where people go, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Friends, that means the non-believers who are around you are not there by accident either. That God in his sovereignty has put you in a place to make Christ known with your words and with a lifestyle that is changed by grace. God has put you there and put non-believers around you in his sovereign plan because he wants the gospel to go forth through your words and through your lifestyle to those around you. So in light of that, three questions is a challenge for this week as we wrap up. First question, who's watching you? Friends, who is watching you? We are being watched by others. Our text today is that the Gentiles and non-believers might see your good deeds. Who is watching your life? Maybe someone in your home, a child that doesn't yet believe, a grown child that doesn't yet believe, your spouse who's not a believer, maybe a parent. Is it a neighbor who's watching you or a classmate or a teacher or a fellow teammate or a coach? Is it a coworker? Or is it the same server at the restaurant you go to week after week who is watching you? Who is watching you, friends? Second question then, what are they seeing? What are they seeing? We're challenged in 1 Peter 2 to live such good lives among the Gentiles, to have such good conduct before them. What do those who are watching us see? Your child, your parents, your classmate, your boss, your coworker, what do they see in you? Do they see one who is rooted in the fact, I am loved by God and it's changed you. They see one who goes, this is not my home. My home is in heaven. I'm in exile and a stranger here and I love God and I'm going to love you because of that. Do they see someone who's blending in? Do they see someone who's fearful of being different or offending them? Who's watching you? What are they seeing? And then third question, what are they hearing from you? What are they hearing from you? God has sovereignly put us where we are so that the gospel goes forth, so that as our lives are transformed by the gospel, verses 11 and 12, we have opportunities then to proclaim verses 9 and 10, the gospel going forth. What are they hearing from you? So friends, who's watching you this week? What are they seeing in you this week? And what are they hearing from you this week? Let's be a people this week who don't just strive harder, but a people who run to the grace of God Remember that we're beloved. Remember that we're sojourners and exiles. And ask God to open our eyes to the reality of the lost around us so that we can be his ambassadors and make Christ known. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that we're beloved by God. What an incredible truth that is. And Lord, I pray for these friends this morning, for those who do know you, that Lord, you would just anchor them this week in this glorious truth that you have set your agape love on them. But I know in a room this size, there are some who probably struggle with their identity and struggle with, who am I? I pray this week, Lord, they would find strength in knowing they are loved by you, that that you have called them beloved. Lord, I pray as well this week that we would understand that we are aliens and strangers. We're sojourners and exiles. 
in this land. Lord, do you understand the pressure we feel to want to conform? You understand the pressure we feel to want to blend in. You understand what's pushing against us from the outside. You understand the pull inside of us in our own desires. Because, Lord Jesus, you came and you were tempted yourself, yet you never gave in. And so we thank you that you understand, that you're compassionate, that you meet us where we are in our brokenness and in our weakness. And we thank you that you're not looking at us, shaking your head at us in disappointment, but rather you see us already as beloved aliens and strangers in this land, beloved sojourners and exiles in this land. And so, Lord, for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, I pray this week, Lord, that you would ground us, you would root us in your love for us, your saving grace, and you would root us this week in your transforming grace. And we would watch you transform us and put off these passions of our flesh, to put on Christ's likeness, doing what we didn't even think was possible. I pray you would do this week and you would strengthen our faith as we watch you transform us this week. Lord, we ask that not simply for ourselves. We ask that you would do that this week, Lord, so that you would be glorified, Lord, so that the gospel would go forth to non-believers. Lord, would you give us eyes to see those around us the way you see those around us? Lord, we confess often we're in such a hurry we're so focused on our own problems and our own challenges that we don't even think about the spiritual state of the people around us. Lord, I pray this week you would give us a fresh, renewed burden for the loss that you have sovereignly put in our life, a fresh brokenness to want to see them beloved by God as well, a fresh burden to want to see them becoming sojourners and exiles too, a fresh burden to see them glorifying you with their lives. Would you break our hearts afresh for the lostness around us? And Lord, would you give us not only the words to say and the boldness to say it, but would you give us a lifestyle this week that shows what your grace looks like before a watching world? Or even as we saw in 1 Peter this morning, that we're to be ready to give an answer for the hope we have in you. Well, would you let that happen in each of our lives this week? God, we confess we probably don't ask that enough. But would you this week, for all of us who know you, would you let the difference that Christ has made be so obvious that someone who is not a believer ask us, what is different about you? And I, Lord, I pray we'd be ready in the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak the gospel verbally to them. And would you remind us that, let that be a part of our regular prayers, Lord. When we get up in the mornings, we pray and we cry out, Lord, would you give me opportunities to make you known today? Lord, would you break the sin in my life? Lord, would you help me put on Christ's likeness? And we pray that each day this week, you send us your Holy Spirit to fill us afresh each day that we might be transformed to make you known. So we ask it all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? We're gonna sing, build my life, and pray this would be our prayer this morning, what we desire God to do in our lives, in us and through us. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Live for you. Jesus, a name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Live for you. 
Lord, that is our prayer today. That you would open up our eyes in wonder, that we would understand more of who you are and your glory and your greatness and your majesty. Lord, you would remind us of your love for us, that we are beloved. We are sojourners and we are exiles. And that would be a grace gift from you to drive us this week, to lead us in your love to those around us. Lord, do it this week for your glory and for our joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.